to the comic trope. We're in a small room surrounded by stuffed animals. They're the size of our bodies. We look upward and what do we see? A giant metal claw that is coming down to pick up Sequoia. Oh, it mists. Another quarter goes in. It goes down to pick up Smiling Dave. Oh, it misses. And third quarter, into the machine, it comes down to get Blake. It grabs me. I am moving upward. Oh, I fall down. Three quarters wasted. Why do you sound vaguely like Bill Cosby? <laughs> well, I was just, I'm just. I don't know. But hey, this is the comic trope. Sequoia's here this time. Dave's here this time. And I am here as usual. The comic trope is a comic book podcast in which I, Blake, me, talk about comics with other people like Sequoia and Dave. Other people usually know more about comic books than I do, and that's why I've invited them. That, and they're just good people. Today, we're going to talk about Warren Ellis's Ocean that was artistried by... Chris Sprouse. That shit was dope. The art is dope. We'll get into it more in a few minutes. We're also going to play some games, talk a little bit about giant monkey apes, and evil that is resident. Let's do some icebreakers. Hi, guys. How you doing? What's going on? Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. So here's my icebreaker for you guys. This breaker of ice, this melter of cold things, is uh, Mountain Dew flavors. I want Mm. you to name a Mountain Dew flavor after a comic book character. Can you do that? Give me a comic book character. Juggernaut. Uh, Juggernaut juice. Juggernaut (laughs) juice, right? That's good. I was going to call it Thug Red. Thug Red. (laughs) Um, Let's go DC. Aquaman. Uh... Is it fish flavor? I was gonna, <laughs> I was I was gonna, gonna say fish flavor. I was gonna say fish punch. <laughs> it's gotta have a briny taste to it. Fish it fusion, is. fusion fish, fishberry green, fishberry green. How about cerulean S- seas? Ooh, <laughs> terrible! Like you know what, Mountain Dew would never hire either of us to to. Uh, well, I can tell you one thing. I would definitely drink in honor of Sequoia. I would definitely drink Encyclopedia Black. Like I would drink the shit out of a Mountain Dew can called Encyclopedia Blackberry. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I think you should have a bitter Encyclopedia Black Current. Black Current. That's good. It's got to be a comic book character, right? <laughs> Encyclopedia Black Current. He's German. Current He's... are current berries real or Black Current? Yeah. Is that the name of well, the berry? Yeah, black currant. You can get so if you in Germany, um, uh, home of the gummy, right? Is that like a bear? Well, like yeah, well, like gummies. Oh, like well, that. I didn't know if it was like an actual bear that like had. Well, it's, so like here in the states, like the fruit like punch flavors are typically the the go to stuff when you're doing okay. fruit snacks. They use much more natural flavors, uh, and they're much juicier fruit snacks in Germany, kind of at the the source of where gummies come from in the first place. I'm sure there's some listener that knows exactly where gummies come from, and it isn't Germany. I'm going to get crucified for this. But you can buy a lot of really amazing uh, kind of craft market gummies in Germany, and they have really great flavors. And black currants are a really popular flavor, of, of especially in the Black Forest region, which I think think 
may be kind of where gummies originated from. We have to find us berries and gummies. Come over here and eat the black currant. <laughs> you do a pretty good German, but I think that's only fitting because it's mm-hmm. in there somewhere. It's in there somewhere. <laughs> Hidden. Sprockets with black currant. Yeah. <laughs> I just watched a lot of SNL and uh, other bad mm-hmm. things. All right, so we should probably end on a uh, on a spawn. Uh, I feel like the word hellfire needs. To I was be gonna in there. say. I was gonna say hell's got to be in it. Hellfire or, punch <laughs> or uh, ruby revenge or something like that. Yeah. I, <laughs> I'm sorry, man. Damnation draft. <laughs> it's like, this, sounded, this sounded good at the time. It's just going horribly. I can't think of any damn... Please tell me you wouldn't drink a Spawn... Okay, so if they do a new Spawn film, okay, right? Okay. They do a new Spawn film. Who's playing Spawn? <clears throat> the average white guy's answer would be Michael B. Jordan. <laughs> you know, just put Michael B. Jordan in. I like that guy. Well, no, he's going, I guess he's <clears throat> under contract with Marvel now. He's going to be in Black Panther. Yeah. Uh, you know, I heard Jamie Foxx was attached to it. This this new iteration. And Wait, this is for real? This is happening? Yeah, yeah. They've been yeah. they've been tossing around for two or three oh, years man. now. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about it. Okay, so Jamie Foxx. So obviously, it's going to be a huge vehicle, right? Yeah. And so, so there's going to be some tie-ins. All right. Okay. <clears throat> Who makes the video game? What's the Mountain Dew called? And what's the Dorito flavor? Okay. Well, I, then I say that. Uh, the Mountain Dew flavor needs to be like Purgatory Passion Fruit. I would drink that. Yeah, yeah. I don't really like the Mountain Dew flavors, but Purgatory Passion Fruit sounds at least like I, I need a can of it. And then you have to take the, the Doritos mm-hmm. has to be Hellfire something. Yeah, I'm Hellf- just saying Hellfire Crunch. Hellfire Crunch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, who would develop the video game? Uh, I don't think Spawn lends itself well to anything open world. Um. A little more focused. It would only be an iOS game, and it'd be one of those freemium games oh. where to stay out of hell and, and up your meter where you get to stay on Earth, you have to keep like buying in-app purchases. <laughs> because that's what you get these days. Let's talk about news. Movie news. We just watched a trailer. What trailer did we just watch? Kong Skull Island. Uh, so what's the deal? I don't know anything about this movie other than it's another Kong movie. So it's sort of a sequel to Peter Jackson's King Kong film, but they announced this like a couple years ago because I guess it's a legendary picture. It's Warner Brothers production. But but the end result was after Gareth Edwards' um, Godzilla movie came out, they were kicking around the idea of possibly doing a King Kong Versus Godzilla. So this is sort of like the little stopgap film uh, they're going to put out. And then it's going to be followed up with Kong versus Gojira. Well, it is Warner Brothers. So they got to rush as fast as they can to get right into the the team-up picture. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this is more... I mean, that's the thing, you know, movies, man. It's all about the sequels and the franchises and all that crap. It looks cool. There were, like, giant spiders and shit. Yeah, I mean... Is Monster Island, like, I don't know anything about this world. Is it? I mean, was the this... The Kaiju world? Is that what it is? Well, I mean, giant monster world, yeah. I mean, more what or is less. Kong part of Kaiju? No, no yeah. I mean, Godzilla's strictly a Japanese creation, and King Kong strictly an American one. But, I mean, you know, like, back in the day, I don't even remember when they came. Was that the 70s when they had King Kong versus Godzilla originally? 
I believe so. It might have been earlier than that because I'm trying to think whenever it was the 50s that Godzilla kind of first came about. Yeah. After World War II. And King Kong predates that. King Kong mm-hmm. is like the 30s, 30s. I believe. Um, <clears throat> but there was kind of a resurgence of that stuff in the 70s mm-hmm. because you had, you know, markets that you could advertise that stuff and, and kind of, you know, put it back out there. Um, but. Yeah, I think it was probably the 60s or the 70s whenever they started doing those films. The greatest part is that if you were a Japanese moviegoer, you got to watch Godzilla win in the film. And if you were an American moviegoer, you got to watch King Kong win. Yeah, it's one of those things where, I mean, I guess, you know, the portrayal of each creature, like, Godzilla's huge. He's like skyscraper big. And I think with this movie, it's just there to kind of say, hey, we need a bigger King Kong to actually fight against Godzilla to scale-wise... You know, I think King Kong and Peter Jackson's movie was probably like 50 feet tall, whereas, you know, Godzilla's, you know, in, you know, a thousand feet tall yeah, or something like yeah, that. It's ridiculous. But uh, maybe not that good. No, nah, it looks kind of good. Like, I like the 70s motif for mm-hmm. this film. It kind of gives it a weird apocalypse now, mm-hmm. a heart of darkness. Platoon. Yeah, type feel. Uh, pretty good cast. Uh, I really don't give a damn about Tom Hiddleston, but. Uh, or Brie Larson, but it's like hey, John Goodman, Samuel Jackson, John C. Riley. I love John Goodman, especially yeah. after uh, Tim, Tim Cloverfield. Cloverfield. Yeah, Cloverfield was really good with him. Yeah. Already working hard at work on the third one. Oh really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, what are they calling God Particle or whatever? Something like that. I'm sure that's probably just a code name. Yeah. But uh, I like the idea of them expanding that universe without retelling the like without doing a sequel. You know? Well, you know, I'm a huge fan of like the Twilight Zone, and that's sort of what I guess J.J. Abrams has said that he's trying to do with that, where it's just weird stories mm-hmm. that exist for the sake of entertainment, and that's fine. You know, mm-hmm. I like that. Can we talk about a franchise I know nothing about that seems to keep pumping out movies? What's that? Resident Evil. Oh, first off, let's. You remember we got? Was that last one we saw? Was that Apocalypse? I mean, I've seen them all, and I've seen yeah. them all in theaters. Yeah. I so are you going to see this last one? Oh hell yeah! First off, let's get one thing right out the gate. All right, these are not films meant to tickle the brain. No. These are meant to fuck your eye sockets. That's what these films are for. Let's talk about what's amazing about them, right? They got decent enough special effects, but they push the envelope to show you some shit that no other movie would probably ever show you, but with a decent budget. Okay, Mila Jovovich, and I appreciate that she has stayed strong. She she's continued to do this. She knows that these aren't good films. Well, she knew they weren't good films from the outset. But what I will say is that she continues to do them because she likes the she's got a daughter and she likes the way they portray women. Plus, isn't her husband the director? That helps. Is she married to Paul Anderson? I thought she was. Yeah. Paul W S Anderson. Yeah. I did not go see Pompeii. Sorry, Paul. I will go watch all your Resident Evil movies, but I'm not watching Pompeii. I just saw that they're making another one, and this is what number? This is the last one. This is six or seven. I can't remember which one it is. I own them all. Should, should I, we have a Resident Evil night where you listen? You, you I, can just you can be the resident expert. Uh, <laughs> see what I did there? I'll be your resident, resident. pleasant. <laughs> not your Resident Evil. Your Resident Pleasant. I will, uh, sure. I, I mean, I'll, I'll give it a shot, but I know nothing about it. So she just, she, I mean, she, this is a video game franchise that has, has it followed the... It is nothing. Okay. Literally nothing to do except <laughs> for the fact that it occasionally shares some characters. 
And the Umbrella Corporation is what's behind the zombie outbreak. Uh, and some of the locations are the same. But aside from that, there's nothing at all re- relatable between the two uh, storylines, which is fine. Honestly, I'd prefer them do that because games tend to be long, drawn-out affairs, and I'm not trying to watch no 11-motherfucking-hour movie, all right? <laughs> Sorry. I'm not a fan. Of yeah. This. yeah. I, oh. I, don't, I don't mess with them. I'm sorry. Now, we, now, that said, I have dragged Sequoia to several of them on opening night to we've, see them. We've in, seen one or two of them together. Yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, and Allie Larder is in the Resident Evil movies. <laughs> Why y'all hating on Allie Larder, y'all? Sorry. In, sorry. <laughs> in different news, uh, Warner Brothers has hired Kung Fu Panda director Mark Osborne for its planned Bone animated tr- trilogy. So the the classic bone, like oh, humanoid yeah. cartoon comic book that's gonna be made by the guy who did Kung Fu Panda. That'd be interesting. That's awesome, man. Bone's a dope book. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad. Yeah, it is one that needs to be done as sort of a, a multiple part story because it really changes. I mean, like it's almost the only way I can describe it. It's it's. It starts off as, you know, Mickey Mouse and Friends and Kinda then whimsical. turns into Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. you know, later on. But, uh, yeah, Jeff Smith's been trying to get that off the ground for the longest time. Um, I remember at one time, I think DreamWorks. Mm-hmm. That sounds about right. Yeah, I think. That would have been like 2004, 2005, shit, maybe? Earlier than that, yeah. man. Like. Back when he was self-publishing it for Cartoon Press, yeah. But I mean, that book's been in publication like since the the early to mid '90s. I mean, it's been around. I think just the the circulation via Scholastic Press with the books and stuff like it's become more of a household name. Even though I think there's still a lot of people who don't know what Bone is. I didn't know about it until maybe a year ago. Mm. Just it kept popping up as. Um, comic to to read that I'd never heard of. It's a it's ripe for the picking for that kind of a format too. CGI, yep. well done um, you know, comic. And I, I think it's right up there with the only other thing that I probably would like to see made along those lines that's just begging for something like that would be Mouse Guard. Mm. That'd be fun. Yeah, 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 actually that would be cute. Mouse Guard would be great. And I think it'd be amazing for because I think kids would really get into it and I love anything that kind of introduces kids to another medium, you know, like in this case comic books. The mouse guard would be dope. It'd probably end up being a French film, though. So uh, everyone would be smoking. Win-win. Let's talk a little bit about comic book news. Um, because I read number one Thanos that came out. So this is by uh, Jeff Lemire and artist Mike Diodato. And the art is fantastic. I don't know if you guys remember, but I... We used to play that game like uh, kill, keep, or reboot, and my jam was let's kill Thanos because I'm done with like bad books. So of course I read this right away because I love Thanos, and I was worried. So far, it could be interesting. The spoiler is he's dying. Wah wah! Every character is dying, right? But the idea of like Thanos, the god, dying. Is kind of interesting, especially because his son, Thane, and like their cousin and all the people who are related to Thanos have decided to go kill him. So he's dying. They want to kill him. The art is badass. 
So, well, plus there's the irony that you know Thanos' character is so in love with death and dying and all that, but I guess now the thing he's inflicted upon everybody else is coming to get him. So how's he reacting to the whole thing? Has has that come about? No, you just find that out last page. The, this was mainly about him killing Corvus Glaive. Do you remember that guy? It was one based, of his generals. Yeah. Basically, Corvus took over like one of the planet, like his home planet. Uh-huh. Um, Titan. Titan or whatever. And so when uh, Thanos comes back, he's like, no, dog, I'm going to kill you. And he's, he looks at Corvus like they fight and he beat, like Thanos destroys Corvus, of course. And then he's like, you know, I was going to keep you alive, but you're sniveling and whining. So I'll give you um, a little bit of mercy. Kill yourself. Otherwise, I'll torture you till you die. And then, of course, Corvus kills himself. It was pretty, pretty dark. It was good. And that's what I want. I want a dark Thanos. I want a mean, evil spirited Thanos. The idea of him dying is kind of neat because does he know he's dying because he's still in love with death? For a while, they've kind of forgotten that whole mm-hmm. Thanos is in love with death thing because of it, it wasn't important anymore. So, anyways. It's a neat read. It just came out this past week. Uh, I, I would I would give it a shot. Okay. I'd like to see a crossover where he falls in love with death from Sandman. Mm. Yeah, I hate the days of Marvel DC crossovers are pretty much dead, unfortunately. And they need to be. <laughs> no, there's still some nope. good stuff no. that can come about. I think the thing with crossovers, man, is like you gotta do them sparingly. You know, because I mean, there was a time when it was either Spider-Man crossing over with anybody and everybody or Batman crossing over with anybody. Right. Or, hell, X-Men or Wolverine. But, no, I mean, you know, I I mean, Harley Deadpool. I mean, that seems obvious. That would sell 10 million fucking books. I don't care, exactly. man. Exactly. Think of all the bad crossovers we'll get for one or two good Let's, ones. I, I think, but that's... Okay, what, what are some good crossovers? What are the ones that deserve to exist? And I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, it's 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 all right. I was just going to say is the problem, like Sequoia said, is that they they typically will do the amalgam thing. Which amalgam? I think the first time around was pretty neat. It was, neat. It was, it was, it was interesting. It wasn't yeah. good. Yeah, it I was just, interesting. I just want the Justice League to come kill Squadron Supreme, so I never have to read another book by them with them in there. Well, I like Squadron the Supreme. Current man. Squadron Supreme. Current. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, there's, there's a few characters that I still like, but, I mean, Hyperion just fucking pisses me off. He's so annoying. Power Princess is so annoying. But the two of them in the Max series of books being injected into the world of the Justice League would be incredible. I mean, absolutely awesome. Okay. Uh, and I would say, like, what I just mentioned, and I just, like, offhand started thinking about it, but seriously, Thanos and Death from from Sandman, Thanos, like, yeah. that would be awesome. Yeah. And I, you know, Neil Gaiman would probably write the shit out of something like that. Yeah, because I mean, he still owns that character, and he's his comic work has mostly been for you know Marvel as of late. I mean, you know, Sandman Overture, right? Withstanding, but no, I think I think you know, there's some good ideas, man. Like Marvel and DC, they need to they need to patch up their beef and 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 and, and give us some something decent. You know, I don't know, man. I think DC's probably butthurt when they watch that money come in that uh, MCU is generating right now. It might cause them to be a little bit on the. Uh, I'm not really trying to work with them right now because they're kind of getting their asses whooped in the in the cinema game. Well, but they quality, are, but, but they make they're still making loot. Of course, DC's they are. kind of killing Marvel right now, comic book wise. Yeah, yeah and they make that cartoon money too. Yeah. 
Well, so which well, by the way, you heard about Young Justice season three, right? Yeah. What yeah. is that like? Four years? Wow. Yeah, something like that. Roughly, it's been a while. <laughs> it's at least two. I could be being dramatic, but I mean, yeah. it was a it was a long time. I'll say this as as the the finale to this whole conversation. If they were going to do it, I think the the proposed and best format would be you do a Harley and Deadpool thing, mm. right? Where you can sell a fuckload of books. You don't got to put a whole lot of like you know uh, cerebral into it. Yeah, and then you do Thanos and Death. I mean, I would be okay with it. You do one book each. This one's not going to sell a lot, but you're already entering into this pack, so you just mm. do them two at a time. Man, once you open that jar up, we're going to get horrible shit. It's going to be like the Flintstones of Spider-Man together, man. I'm telling you. It's going to be awful. I don't think that's going to happen. I think if they remain cautious about what they do, and they're like, look, we can do this because it'll be cool, and it will sell books yeah. to hardcore comic readers, and we'll do this because people will want to watch Harley Quinn and Deadpool play Because each money. Other. Yeah, <laughs> money. Alright. Insert Pink Floyd. Alright guys, let's talk about a comic book that we read for this week. It's Ocean uh, by Ellis Warren, by Warren Ellis. Yes. Who did the uh, art on this again? Uh, Chris Sprouse. Yeah. Chris Sprouse. I don't know anything about Chris Sprouse. Tell me about Chris Sprouse. Chris Sprouse, if I'm not mistaken, was originally one uh, came out of Gaijin Studios. And they were a collective of artists originally located in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. But out of that circle, you got uh, Carl Story, Coley Hamner, Brian Stelfreeze, Adam Hughes, uh, uh, Tony Harris, um, Andrew Robinson. Like some really hot, not sexually hot. Well, I don't know. Maybe some sexually hot. Maybe, well, it's a few of those guys are handsome. <laughs> handsome. Handsome. Uh, yeah. Tony Harris is handsome. I know him. But uh, really, like, wonderful, fantastic, really talented artist. Uh, you know, did a lot of interesting stuff stuff back there in the 90s. Uh, the cool thing I remember liking about Gaijin Studios was those guys always, when they collaborated, um, they would go from studio to studio together. But uh, a lot of their work... I remember, I mean, majority, bulk, bulk of their work at one point was for Image Comics, um, particularly Wildstorm. So, uh, Chris Sprouse, I think he did Ocean around the same time. I think he may have been, I think he was doing Tom Strong with Alan Moore for yeah. ABC Comics, which were both Wildstorm, ABC, were both yeah. owned by DC. So, and, um, I can't even remember what year this damn thing was published. Ocean yeah. was like late 2004. Okay. I want to say it stretched like into 2005. So this was probably towards the end of Warren Ellis doing work for Wildstorm. Um, he was still publishing Planetary, but that was... That was already like issue 23 or 24 at this point. Uh, 2004? I, was, I remember there was a huge gap. I between twenty four and twenty five. Okay, yeah. Um, but this is around the time he was doing like Red and Tokyo Storm. One, like he was doing like a lot of these just kind of quick three issue bursts, or yeah, yeah. like real brief miniseries and such. Um, some of them, I don't, I, I can't say like a lot of it was his best work, but a lot of the stuff it was just him experimenting with like really short, quick economic comics. Yeah. You know, not everything having to be long uh, six issue story arcs. Um, just 
kind of in and out, you know, cheap, one and done. And this but was six issues, right? 161 no, pages? Five, uh, four or five. Four, yeah. Yeah. four issues, okay. yeah. Uh, this would have been around the same time as Orbiter as well, right? This was, was and Orbiter was on Wildstorm too. Yeah, Orbiter was the graphic novel that he did with Colleen Doran. Right. And you can actually, this, if you buy this on Comixology, you buy the Orbiter Ocean, uh, combo. I think it's like a Even if you buy it in hardcover, it's, they come packed together. Yeah, yeah, this was packed together for like, uh, 16 bucks or something like that. A lot of his miniseries that he did, like, if you buy them, they were like kind of flip books. So like, if you buy Reload, it's packed with a mech. I think mm-hmm. uh, what Tokyo Storm Warning is with um, I forgot what book it was, but yeah, you know he did a bunch of stuff at this time. I mean, sixteen books for sixteen books, sixteen bucks for this book and orders. I mean, pretty good deal. Yeah. Um, Once you get, why don't you give me the one minute plot synopsis? One of you two, give me the one minute. <laughs> Plot synopsis. I guess a uh, what? Uh, Is there a scientific research group in a space station orbiting Europa? Europa discover make a startling discovery that may change the course of uh, humanity. That's good elevator pitch. Yeah. It okay. It kind of, and that's the thing I guess about this story. It kind of sounds like a. Like a movie plot, yeah. To some degree, kind of reads like one too. It definitely reads like an action movie to me, like yeah. a, uh, like a Total Recall. Nathan Kane uh, is a uh, works for the UN, yep, and uh, he specializes in weapons training and stuff like that. Yeah, basically, just uh, like he's so isn't his job like a basically to disarm. Like, he's a weapons, like... Yeah, to de-escalate conflicts or, um, you know, what types of weapons, I guess, various governments are using against each other in, um, in combat. He's a, sort of an anti-gun, anti-weapon type of guy. I guess he would be a weapons inspector. And uh, he gets called to this space station orbiting Europa where the scientists have uh, made this discovery. And the thing they, they find... Are these um, sarcophagi? Uh, I think what thousands, hundreds of thousands of them, and inside these sarcophagi are um, this humanoid-like alien species in a cryogenic sleep, and they're trying to figure out the origin of these creatures and the technology they find. Basically, you know, Europa is one big giant ocean. Ocean Moon, and uh, they're they're probing down there, and they find that um, these ancient aliens who may bear some relation relationship to humans on Earth, uh, they have this immensely powerful technology. It's like a like a wormhole, like bending space and time yeah, kind of weapon. Yeah, wormhole technology and then like these these cannons that are capable of just like decimating an entire planet. And that's what happened, they find out, right, that these this race ended up basically killing themselves and instead of beca- instead of bearing the hatchet, so to speak, they just freeze themselves in Cryogenic and capsules, essentially, that float just below. The yeah, surface. they're like we we you know we cannot we can't mend the relationship between these two factions. So let's just freeze ourselves and just yeah. call it a day. Yeah. yeah. But before they went, they planted the seed 
that became Earth. Right. They're we and essentially they're a precursor uh, yeah. race to humanity. They seeded Earth similar to the beginning of Prometheus. They 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 passed their genome into life on Earth, and as a result, you know humans would have would have come about. And, and through their, uh, I guess, the scientists' uh, examination, they find out that you know this this race is extremely violent and very efficient at killing any and all life forms and such. I mean, they almost wipe them on their own selves out through uh, warring with one another. Um, but at the same time that the scientists on the space station make this revelation, on the other side of Europa, you find out there's another space station that's owned by sort of a... Um, corporation. A corporation. Weapons manufacturing. They're called Doors, which I guess is supposed to be... Dig up at Microsoft. Yeah, Windows. You know, Windows and all that. <laughs> and uh, this corporation has taken an interest in the alien sarcophagi and the weapons uh, located on the uh, ocean floor. So uh, it's sort of a a, a, con, a battle, if you will, between or a race against time between the scientists and the corporations to get to this technology and lay claim to it, or you know, you know, not letting it fall into the wrong hands. I I thought it was interesting. The so the corporation's whole gig is that you lose your memories, like all the people who work for this corporation are. People, but they have no memories and they're controlled like robots, right? Yeah, Except they, they they're have, people. Uh, mental, they have uh, implants in their yeah. brain, which basically um, takes over their personalities and literally makes them company men. They're giving they're given um, tasks, jobs to do, and strict parameters that they have to remain in. And um, I guess the whole idea with like the station director, the main villain of this story. Is uh, depending on how how well one performs within this corporation, you can earn an up uh, upgrade to your uh, your implants, and he's trying to earn his upgrade or his promotion, and and that's sort of his main motivation for uh, getting, getting them the weapons. Yeah, for yeah. fucking with this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I mean, you know, what do you think about this? Because well, let's talk about the art yeah. first. Art was really easy to read and it he was able to tell a story panel by panel it flowed so easily it was very consumable like not confusing at all yeah chris sprouse has a very clean artistic style and i think carl story inked this he normally inks uh chris and you know, given this era of wildstorm was probably like laura dupai who became later laura martin who probably did the colors on this. And I mean, she's fantastic. I mean, yeah, agreed. Agreed. I've never really given a damn about colorists before until I first saw her stuff on the authority. And it's something I've never paid attention to, but somehow I, I, I don't know what it is, but she's an excellent colorist. And um, like I said, like Chris Sprouse, yeah, he has a, a really good eye as far as panel layouts and, uh, um, placement and such is very easy to follow um not too cluttered and uh when you're in space you've got space station Mm -hmm. space Mm -hmm. so it's black and then for this europa's blue 
and ice and white. And somehow it's still beautiful. Like oh. the, the coloring is fantastic. The shades of blue, like the, the use of like the space station does not look boring over and over. Like they use different shades of green and different, like, sh- you know, different beiges. Everything is just, just colored really well. And the, the use of space, uh, between like characters talking are never like difficult to, understand and like it's not it's just wonderful like to me i love having clean books because i can just get into it and move quickly well i'll say from a design standpoint i i failed to point out that you know this book i'm talking about like it's in the present tense but it, it takes place in the not too distant future 100 I mean, years or so i yeah. want to say I, they don't put an exact date on it i think they just say 100 years in the future yeah and i mean you know he he doesn't try to over stylize everything or beat you over the head with, Oh, this is some cool looking, you know, future stuff. Like everything's very clean and simple and crisp. Look out computer table. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Well, when they have that, the main end fight where he is, when Nathan Kane is telling the gravity to get turned on or off or lowered that scene where he's running towards people, throwing bullets at people, and using the and gravity, using the well gravity to, yeah, to shoot the bullets. Really cool use of like uh, art there. Like the the whole scene of you can tell that he's upside down without it, like without like the swooping motions to show that the character has gone upside down. You know, it's not. It's just. It's technically like really well done. Well, you know, one of the things that that scene in this book reminds me of a lot is the scene where you first meet Ambrose in Planetary, mm-hmm. right? And the same author, Laura, uh, colored that book as well, didn't she? If I'm not mistaken, yeah, she was. She was pretty much the chief colorist for uh, all of Wildstorm's books. She, um, but that that scene with him upside down and throwing things reminds me a lot of just like the killing spree that Ambrose goes on when you first are introduced to him in Planetary. Mm-hmm. Which is a book we have to read at some point. In the Absolutely. Future. Yes, yes. Um, but that's what I liked about the book was the craft of, like I thought the art and the coloring was great. Uh, from a From a storytelling standpoint, I don't like science fiction novels that are science fiction for the sake of science fiction. And that's what this was. There was no character development. So here's the story I wanted. The story I wanted was uh, the protagonist got this job because his dad was shot by a gun, right? Yeah, like the whole idea is that in the future they officially uh, ban guns in the uh, United States, and on the last day, uh, his father gets shot and killed, I guess, randomly, right? To me, that's where this story was supposed to come from, was the protagonist's journey with, like, uh, uh, he's doing this because of the past, and through this story, something has to be resolved in himself, as well as resolving a large, like, destruction of the world or, or you know, like, saving the cast and crew and something else internally he has to realize. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, that's sort of the thing that, that you know, carries throughout this, this uh, story is it's, I shouldn't say it's anti-gun or anything, but, I mean, it's, 
sort of takes that stance because you have this guy, the main character, who's a pretty interesting character. Like, you know, he constantly throughout the book just rambles on, you know, unsolicited about um the space uh, station. Or, yes, well, the, not the space station, but just uh, space travel in general, comparing how, you know, advanced it is now compared to, you know, 100 years ago when uh, the line he uses several times, like, there's more technology in my wristwatch than there was in the um, the first uh, Apollo Sure, uh, but why? Huh? Why? Why well, does that? Well, I think that, and this goes back to where I think Warren Ellis's head was at the time, because... You know, Orbiter is a good companion story to go with this because that book, Orbiter, you know, is all about trying to reignite that passion in space travel and that interest and stuff. And I think this, like I said, they're two good companion books because it's all about, hey, you know, we used to be all about the future and going places and and trying to break you know, pet, you know, gravity and, and seeing what's beyond our world. So, you know, this character has such a really wide eyed, optimistic, you know, look at the future, even though he's living in the middle of the future. But, and, and he also has this tragic backstory of his father being killed on the last day of people being able to own guns, but yet he's deadly as hell. I don't know, man. And he has a job that, you know, special, that basically pertains to him de-arming. So my point. Disarming, I should say. My point is that there is no character development. And he does not learn anything. We're told stuff about him. Yeah. He constantly, these characters are telling us stuff and nothing. There's no actual character arc in any of them. None of them are one thing at the beginning that they aren't at the end. And that's the problem with this story. The story didn't leave me wanting anything because I was being told and shown. And I never was engaged with the the character so that I felt anything. No, and, you know, I guess we just all talk about this, how we felt about the book. You know, I read it a couple weeks ago just for the hell of it before I even knew we were going to be reviewing it because I've just been on a Warren Ellis kick. He's coming to town, so I'm just kind of boning up on... When's he coming again? Uh, December 2nd to Flyleaf Books, but he's going to be promoting his new book, his novel, Normal. And, you know, I'm just going back and rereading stuff that he's done. That was one that I found laying around the shop, and I had some free time, and I read that. And They flipped it upside down and read Orbiter? I read Orbiter, like, maybe a year <laughs> or so ago. It had been a while. But um, it's not one of my favorite... Uh, Warren Ellis stories. I mean, he's a guy. I'm a huge fan of his, but I'm not. A, I'm not sycophantic enough to be like I love everything. Like Bendis fans on the Bendis board. I'm not even getting into that. But <laughs> yeah, I don't love everything Warren Ellis has ever written. And this was kind of a period where you know he came so strong out the gate with the Authority and Planetary, right off you know a really good run of Stormwatch. You know, and basically, I won't say single-handedly, but between him and uh, Alan Moore, I mean, they really, you know, made Wildstorm worth the purchase uh, for DC Comics. But once those guys left, you know, it wasn't really worth a damn. It's not one of his strongest things, but, I mean, Ellis is a guy, he writes stuff, he's, he's a word engine. 
you know, and I don't know if he was really trying to say anything in particular other than, you know, just kind of express a love for, you know, the early era of space travel. And I, I mean, like the, the most telling panel in that book to me is the first few opening panels where you see life in future New York City and, you know, people are on the streets walking around, going about their business, and everybody, every single character except for our main protagonist has their head down, face buried in some kind of digital device, totally ignoring everything that's going on around him. And this guy comes out, he looks up to the sky, and he's just pronouncing to us like, man, we live in a wonderful time. Can you imagine like being a scientist during the 1960s working for NASA and da-da-da-da-da? So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff. I, I see where you're coming from. I mean, it's no. I mean, I think it's I'll, there. It's just not spelled out. Well, and I, I feel. I look at any of Ellis's books, and this is a thought that, that kind of just crossed my mind. Kind of hearing you know both of you talk about this, Ellis's style, this character. Most of Ellis's main characters, his protagonists, and his books are immovable forces. Yeah. Right? You know, or, and they're very hyper-competent. Right. And they almost never have any sort of real change. Spider-Jerusalem does not change from issue one mm-hmm. to the final issue of Transmetropolitan. He doesn't. He's the same person. And he goes on a, an adventure, a journey, that changes the world around him drastically. But he remains more or less the same. He changes the... Um, the interns that he has, he changes their lives. They go from being, you know, interns of a, <laughs> a really, you know, infamous writer to being basically vigilantes and criminals. But he was always that. If you look at the... Well, I was going to say, in regards to Transmetropolitan, you know, like, uh, Spider-Jerusalem is Hunter S. Thompson in the future. Absolutely. And it's not about the character of Spider-Jerusalem. It's Correct. about the world he occupies. Absolutely. And this is this is largely that as well. Uh Elijah Snow, even though he has memory loss, mm-hmm. he's still that character. And he almost does not change throughout the entire course. He has this thing that he's set on so much so that he becomes the person he erased his mind not to be at the end of Planetary. Yeah. Right? He is that person, whether he remembers it or not. And I understand where you're coming from. And like I said, it's not, you're right. It's not a very yeah. exciting book. I mean, like, between it and Orbiter, it's Warren Ellis doing like, Hard sci-fi like fucking Arthur C. Clarke, you yeah, know, no, Isaac I, Asimov sci-fi. And that's, that's my ex- least favorite. Sci-fi so that's what fashion. I was just about to say is that it reads like a Isaac Asimov. It reads like early, early nineteen fifties Philip K. Dick, yeah. like before he started doing drugs. <laughs> it, it reads like classic sci-fi, mm-hmm. and my problem with classic sci-fi is that when people, you know. Space gun, space <laughs> car. You know, it, it's not. It, we could just. It could just be a gun. It could just be a car. Yeah. So this was science fiction for the sake of science fiction. It was an action movie based on in a science fiction novel, and I'm fine with it because I enjoyed it. It was good, but I'll never read it again because I don't. I didn't take it. There was no strong themes from it that resonated with me. So if you're not going to have strong character interaction and you're not going to have like a, this person changes, then the world around him changes. So it like teaches the reader something. And I wasn't nothing taught. I was not taught anything. I guns are bad. Okay. Like, uh, you know, don't, don't let a corporation turn your people into zombies and then try to take over, you know, the universe. So it's fun to read. Yeah. And the art alone 
I mean, just the way it was told. And, you know, the con- like, he's a master storyteller. You can tell that by the way people talk to each mm-hmm. other. Like the, the conversations are intriguing and you want, you want to be part of this world. But I just didn't leave wanting more. I left wishing there were more, you know, like, yeah, that I just read. And I mean, like I said, this was the time when he's doing a lot of really quick, like mm-hmm. short economic stories. Um, and, you know, I've read some of that stuff. Like, you know, Red is much different as a three-issue comic than it was. I mean, it, the movie's fun. The book's very fucking bleak and violent. I thought uh, Red was awesome. Yeah. The, the, book the book or the movie? Book. Yeah, the book's great. Oh, yeah, the book's great. Yeah, yeah. The movies are action movies and they're fun. But yeah, the book yeah, is yeah. just fantastic. yeah. And I mean, when I heard they were turning to a movie, it's like, shit, you're going to have to pad that out because it's such a quick story. But I mean, I think that's the thing. You know, he's kind of setting up for what he wound up doing. I think he does a better job of the self-contained stories, you know, like uh, Planetary. I mean, even though that's a, there's a long thread through that entire series, you know, each issue more or less is a self-contained story. Yeah. But I mean, shit, you get over to Secret Avengers or Moon Knight, and like he just, he's just fucking killing it. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, it's it's not my favorite. I don't hate it, and I remember at the time kind of reading it, it's just man, eh, you know, I didn't think much of it. this. This I figured that would be a book I skipped, but I kind of loosely read it and didn't really care or think about it. Picked it up now, and it's better than I thought it was at the time. I've changed as a person, but yeah, it's still not one of my favorite. I'm glad I read stories. it. What, yeah. what would you rate it? Well, give it, give it a letter grade for us. <laughs> Final thought slash letter grade. See, I can only grade it compared to all his other stuff. Uh, it's not a terrible book. I mean, I'll give it a a B minus. Okay. You know? Dave, final thoughts? Yeah. Uh... As a, as a big Warren Ellis fan, it's a great, it's just good science fiction. And maybe, and you, you know, Sequoia mentioned that this is not his kind of science fiction. I love this shit. Yeah. I, this is a, this is a favorite of mine, just hard science fiction. And the story just was there, like you said, for science fiction's sake, to tell a story in another world. Yep. For me, it's probably right along the same lines. I'd say probably a B. I'd give it a C plus. <laughs> I, you know, I would recommend it to anyone who just needed a, a quick read. You taking the metro, or you you gotta take that train from DC to New York, or you know, you on a short flight. Read this. Yeah. So, yeah. I would C- never. I would never say it's bad because it was good. Man, just, C plus seems kind of harsh though for a book that's as beautiful and as well written as this one is. Yeah. Though. <laughs> that's good. I mean, yeah, and I, I, I agree with you. I mean, like the story could have used a bit more meat. I mean, especially. I don't want to give away too much about the book, but I mean, you know, there's certain revelations in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, that, I, I guess that just wasn't what he was doing at that time. And, you know, he was, ex- he was experimenting with some, so I'll forgive it. You know? Yeah. I mean, I could, I could be coerced I into a B minus, you know, <laughs> I couldn't write it. So, you know, yeah, no, I can't do it. Well, I, I just know how good Warren Ellis is. So, yeah. You know, maybe if this was like some Joe Schmo, I'd be like, "Y'all are crazy." It needs to be a B, but I have to, I have to rate the guy because he's a genius and he's got A plus books. So that's that. All right, I'm glad we read that, guys. Let's play a game. That's good. That's good. I appreciate the sound effects. Too. So here's the game, guys. First time we played this game. 
Um, I got stoned shit last night. I was thinking about people with weird-ass powers and then what their name would be. And I wrote them all down. And then I wrote a bunch of names down of fake superhero names. We have to come up with their powers. And we have to come up with powers. Mm. So uh, who wants to do powers and who wants to do names? I'll just let you do both. That's fine. Now, this has to be... You can't just sit here and think about it, guys. I need this. I need this quick. All right. This is off the top of the dome. All right. This is like a, Shia LaBeouf freestyle this right is now. Like, this is like Sway's five finger death jam, but for kind of, I don't know. Fuck that. All right. Here we go. Give me a name for this guy. He's got frog's legs, and he always wears shades. Dude can jump. Frogs. He's like he's like a mermaid, but he's got frog legs, and he's always wearing some fly shades. Uh, I like I like flip hop, flip hop, <laughs> flip hop, general flip hop, general flip hop. <laughs> All right, this dude drives an ice cream truck, and he's a knife specialist. The scoop, the scoop. <laughs> That's it. All right, this dude has the power to turn into puppies, and then when he is a puppy, he can hypnotize people, but only when he's in puppy form. Pupnosis. Pupnosis. <laughs> uh, this guy a crime fighter? Yeah, he could be a crime fighter. I mean, his power is that he could turn into a puppy, and then he can hypnotize people. I don't know what he said, and mm-hmm. I just, like, flashback to pound puppies. Yeah. Or, I can't... Or Mr. What is it? Gruff? What is it? Gruff the, the crime fighting yeah. dog. Might just be his son. I'm not really sure. <laughs> All right. This person has laugh annoying power, and their laughter is so annoying that it makes people are they're willed to leave and and like go far away. So an annoying laugh. Annoying laugh. Yeah, but like not just annoying. Like so, it will will people to like leave a movie theater and not come back for a while. The cackler. Ooh, cackler's pretty good. I was gonna go with hy- the hyena, but yep. yeah, cackler's or the gaffoon. The gaffoon. He's like guffawing, but he's a buffoon. You're way better at this than I am. <laughs> the guffoon. <laughs> All right. This person has the ability to change size, but when the person gets larger, the person's voice gets higher. And when that person gets smaller, that person's voice gets lower. And also that person works as a golf coach. Octavius Clubsmith. <laughs> Don't you mean well, it depends on what size he is. <laughs> All right. Octavius Nine Iron. Tell me that's not a fucking cool name. That's <laughs> way cooler than what I just told you. All right. Last one of the powers. Rich Uncle, who has to drink to float. The more he drinks... In water or in the air? In in the air. Oh, he flies. He, float. he floats. He can't fly. He can't actually move around. He just, like, floats. Like the and Baron the more Harkonnen. he drinks... He, the higher he floats, and then as he sobers up, he kind of like falls to the ground. Does it have to be alcohol or is it just water? It's no, it's alcohol. alcohol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. He's your, he's drunkle, basically. Drunkle? Yeah, drunkle. Yeah. There, oh, there damn, you go. I named it. Yeah, drunkle. Drunkle. Drunkle's high as shit. I imagine that he's probably like the Baron Harkonnen, except more innocent. All right, so now the, the other coin of this game, the other side of the coin, the other, I don't know. I don't want to rephrase this. The other part of this game. <laughs> other side of the coin was fine. Yeah, that's that's the side of the I mean, yeah. So here's name of the superhero. And you must tell me their power, okay? <clears throat> Swallow. Nope. He definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I 
He turns I, into a bird, you disgusting internet people. <laughs> I like to imagine someone who uh, can consume anything, like, for, like, energy, kind of like, um, mm-hmm. you know. Sure. Kind of like Matter Eater Layla. He can just consume and eat anything. Or like those weird people that were in the circus that would like eat like swords. Light bulbs. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, 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 those. The Red Line. He's communist. (laughs) All right. He's Uh, communist and he's always telling people not to cross him. Does he force people to share? So I hear Red Line, I think of uh, Red Line in a car. You know, like speed. Right. So I think this this person needs to be like a like a speedster. Or well, let's do a double entendre. Okay. He's a former Russian race car driver. Uh-huh. Right? <clears throat> do they have much racing in it's Russia? It's too cold. Because you say he's communist. Right. So I don't I don't know about a lot of racing during the communist Russian era. I'm sure they had to have something. They had KGB, and they had to be trained in some kind of a car tactic. Alright, alright. So maybe he's ex KGB, specializes in driving, right? And he's like a super spy. Okay. And he's played by Dolph Lundgren. Why is his name the Red Line? Well, for two reasons. He's communist. Okay. Yeah. You don't want to cross him. Okay. Yeah. Right? And he drives cars and pushes them into the red. Yeah. Alright. Yeah. You wouldn't like me when I'm redlining. <laughs> redlining. Worm salad. That's the guy's name. No, this is like, this is it. It's a food this item. This is a superhero, and he named himself Worm Salad. Obviously, he's three. <laughs> this is small child. This shit's probably an axe cop. Probably just what? Uh, that's a personal axe cop. Yeah, isn't it? I think it's one of axe cops' enemies. Yeah, Worm yeah. Salad. Okay, Worm Salad. All right, Shame Canary. I like that one. Shame Canary. Yep. He. I'll give you his origin story. Okay. And I'll tell you his powers after this, right? Maybe I'll do it in, in reverse. <clears throat> he belches toxic fumes. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. And what happened was, is that years ago, he was working in a mine, and he was with a group of individuals, and he, he basically smelled uh, gas. Mm-hmm. So he went to tell them and became so f- afraid for his life that he ran past them. Ended up inhaling a bunch of the stuff anyways and let all of them die. So he lives with the constant shame of not having pulled his friends to safely and was cursed with belching, you know, sulfuric acid or something over and over again. He was a, right? He's the shame canary. (laughs) What, what do you think his outfit would look like? Probably just a bunch of fucking sooted up miner clothes. I think like it should be like a bird costume <laughs> with a miner's hat. <laughs> and he's got to have like a pickaxe or something. Yeah. Like a bird costume with he's a gas got, mask. He's got small cages that are actually bombs that he throws. Shame canary. Uh, General Fish Tickle. Well, he, he probably looks like the Gordon's Fisherman. That's what I'm going to put out there. He's got the yellow slicker on. General Fish Tickle. Fish Tickle or Fish Tickler? Tickle. Tickle. F- fish Tickle. Like the act of tickling, not like. Okay, tickler. Fish Tickler. I think. So his weapon. I think his weapon is when he encounters people, he like takes like live minnows or like small fish and like puts them down like the back of people's pants or like in their shirts. <laughs> And just lets them squirm around and like tickle them. Tell me what you know. Until they're crippled with. Tell me otherwise. I'll tickle you with me fish. Exactly. 
Exactly. What was what did we talk about a couple weeks ago on the the powers game where it was like hydro wave emission? Yeah. Where they basically just make water come out of themselves. Yeah. This guy just makes minnows come out of himself. And he just puts them in people. <laughs> makes me think about the line from Baby I Got Your Money where Old Dirty Bastard says, Dance like you caught up in the Holy Ghost trance. If you don't, I'm going to put them killer ants in your pants. Exactly. This guy would go to clubs and just be like, he'd be DJing his shit. And while he's DJing, just shooting out fucking minnows into people's pants so they fucking have to get down. Oh, man. <laughs> All right, two more to go. Oh, wow. How high were you? <laughs> Glass dance. Zero <laughs> calls himself or herself Glass Dance. Glass Dance. Uh, I automatically my mind automatically went to uh, Clear Stripper Hills. So I feel like I feel like this character needs to be a stripper mm-hmm. or former stripper. And see through. Uh, see through. Yeah, see through hills when they when they dance up on people. Mm-hmm. It glasses them. Like if you were to you know. Like destroy a planet by yeah. by like bombarding it so much that you you officially turn all of the the, the mantle to mm-hmm. glass. Mm-hmm. That's what would be happening here. She would it gets so hot when she's grinding up on them, right? They just turn to glass and then she pushes them over. <laughs> <laughs> glass dance. Glass dance. All right, last one. Crab man goon. That's pretty self-explanatory. He's just a crab. <laughs> Crab man goon? No, he's like a goon, man. He's a henchman. He's a henchman. He's a, not a sidekick, but he has, he's a henchman. Yeah. yeah. To me, it's a henchman who got like radioactive with a crab. Yeah. And now like, he's crab man goon. He used to be your number two in charge. Now he's crab man goon. <laughs> I like crab man goon. That might be my favorite one. I like the idea that he works for the triads. <laughs> Yes. Send in Crabman Goon. And he comes in there and he's like <laughs> but he's, real, he's real fucked up looking. Like he's not he doesn't look like uh was it Lobstore from He Man? He doesn't look all cool like that guy. Like he just looks shitty and like <laughs> melty and repulsive and like he's got eye he's got one eye stalk and one man eye. Dairy man fights him, tries to like butter him up and eat him. <laughs> He reeks of cream cheese. His number one arch nemesis is the mallet. Nope, his number one uh, nemesis is General Fishtickle. So, all right, I can see that. General Fishtickle, you're finally here. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> well, he, he slurs all the time because he's got like, seawater pouring out of his mouth. I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. Did you have something in your mouth? No, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. All right, there we go. Hey, guys. I think that this was a pretty good show. I think we've done everything that we needed to do and recorded everything that we needed to record. Are you sure? <laughs> and uh, I'm really happy about it. So if you want to find us on the internet, you can go to at Canadian Blaken, or you can go to at Count Paper, throw a hashtag the comic trope up there. We'll follow that. And uh, if you want to find Sequoia, try. Just fucking try. All right. Have a nice one. Until next week, read a comic.